Keep open before you that passage which Chris just read for us in 1 Samuel chapter 27. We'll read another passage a little bit later on. Remember at this point that David's been living in the wilderness. It, It really surprised me when I was studying this stuff to, well, I had no idea how long David lived in the wilderness, how much of his life he spent there. But it turns out that David lived like this as a fugitive probably for about 10 years. And it's quite likely that that this young man that he was spent the best part of his 20s on the run, living in the wilderness with this band of men behind him. Now Saul, as we know from our, our earlier studies, had been chasing David And already David had had a couple of close shaves. David's got to the stage now with Saul where he's desperate and he'll do anything to get Saul off his tail. And that's when he's decided that he has no choice but to go behind enemy lines to get away from Saul. Whatever we might think of this strategy, the Bible tells us that it worked. We read in verse 4 that when Saul heard that David had fled to Gath, he called off his search. So instead of killing Philistines, David now moved in with them. And he wasn't just passing through either. We read in verse 7 that he was there for a year and four months. A year and four months, David goes and lives with the sworn enemies of Israel. Now, things aren't exactly what they seemed here to the Philistines, because David actually He's working as a bit of a double agent. He pretends to be raiding and looting the towns of southern Judah. And I'm just trying to explain this in case you didn't quite get it on our way through. That's what he says in verse 10. If that were the case, it would be rock-solid evidence to the Philistines that, yes, he's turned his back on his own people, and now he's loyal to us as Philistines. But it's not the case. And the biblical narrator tells us so. David's using the security of Ziglag, this town that he's been given, and he's using it as a base to go and make minced meat of some of Israel's historical enemies farther south. Now, the only reason that David can get away with this is because he uses one of the tactics common in warfare of those days. He takes no prisoners. He kills every person in the towns he attacks That way there are no informers. There's no one left alive to tell Itchish that David isn't doing quite what he appears to be doing. Right under the nose here of Israel's greatest enemy, David's secretly working for God's people, the Israelites. How do we make sense of this? What do we do with a a passage like this. Here's David, the man who's done so well living for God, and now he's reduced to this. On the one hand, I think we could get very moralistic here, and we could criticize David. David should know better. He's, he used to be keen for the Lord, but now he appears to be living like a backslider. We could say that David's given up trusting God, the same God who's cared for him so well in the past, we could say that David, David's lost it at this point. Or on the other hand, we could say something very different. We could say, you know, David's, 
David's doing very well here. He's being worldly wise. With this move into Philistia, he manages to get, get the Philistine king Achish working on, on, working on his own purposes without getting caught in the deception. He's using his initiative, we might say. He's making the most of a bad situation. Okay, so he's not exactly squeaky clean, but at least he knows how to handle himself in the real world. Those are two extremes, two ways we could interpret what's going on here. But as we've been looking at these David stories together, I've been trying not to make those kind of interpretations. I've been trying to stay out of the road and let the Bible tell the story. Not to say more or less than what the biblical narrative actually says. What say we just read the Bible and let the story speak for itself? If we do that, we realize that actually it doesn't say whether what David has done is a good thing or a bad thing. It doesn't tell us whether David's doing right or wrong. In fact, judging David's behavior doesn't seem to be a big priority at all in this passage. Again, here we have one of these stories where there's no specific mention of God and his purposes. But again, we realize as we read on that God's purposes are being worked out detail by detail. What David's doing here is nowhere near as important as what God is doing for David and through David. If we just take this story as it is, we find that it's a story of David surviving very difficult circumstances. David could have gone to the Philistines, barged in, challenged their evil ways, told them to repent and turn to God, but he doesn't. David just seems to survive. Now here's where the Bible might surprise you. The Bible doesn't tell us that this is the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. It simply tells us that this is what David did. And we're going to discover that God protects David in the midst of this. Now, obviously, I need to be careful about what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that anything goes, that we can do whatever we like when it suits us just to fit in with the culture of the time. The Bible couldn't say that because we know that in other places the Bible tells us how important it is that we are different, that we stand out from our culture. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, we're told. Don't follow the crowd in doing wrong. Don't imitate the people around you. The Bible's full of these kind of reminders of the people of God we ought to resist that lure of the culture around us. This is a story of what happens when we find ourselves overwhelmed by a culture. When we on our own can't do anything to undermine that culture and there's no way out. And I think it's a story of what God does for us when we can't do anything very much for ourselves. Let me try and make this more personal. None of us uh, have any, any experience of living with the Philistines, but I believe we all 
have had experience of living with the enemy. Many of us feel terrible about it. We feel guilty about it. We feel guilty, but quite honestly, we don't know what to do about it. Some of us have jobs in companies whose practices we know to be entirely at odds with the kingdom of God, and yet we spend 40 or 50 hours a week working there. Some of us are married to people who hate the name of Jesus and can't wait for the day when we get all that God stuff out of our system. Some of us are trying to obey the biblical call to honor our father and our mother, even though our father and mother don't honor him. And some of us are trying to live with children who are doing things that we thought would never happen in our homes. If, if I haven't included you in any of those categories yet, let me tell you, you are living with the enemy. Every one of us sitting here tonight is involved in an economic system that rips off the poor, a system that ensures that the rich stay rich and the poor become poorer. Friends, there isn't one of us here tonight who doesn't live a compromised life, who doesn't live in a place where things happen that don't honor God. What I want to say this evening, though, is this. God is in control. God's perfectly capable of working out your life, no matter how difficult the circumstances of your life may be. Even when your hands are tied, his aren't. And we can trust God to keep working for us even when we can't do a thing to help. We've said that. We've said that God can work even when a situation seems hopeless to us. Well, let's go back to our, our story with David. How does he do that for David? Now, David, as I've described to you, he's in a bad situation, living among these Philistines, uh, living this rather ambiguous life. But things are just about to get worse for David. Whenever you're a double agent, you see things can get very complicated. David's strategy of endearing himself to the Philistines has been working very well. Problem is, it's worked too well. He's entirely accepted now by the king. Itchish has grown to respect him. And then comes the bombshell. We're not going to read chapter 28. But in the opening two verses of chapter 28, we discover that the Philistines have decided to go to war with Israel. Put yourself in David's shoes. The Philistines among whom he's living, who think he's loyal to them, have decided to go to war on God's people. As you can see here, David's entirely stuck. What does he do? Does he, does he show that he has no loyalty to the Philistines? Does he show himself a traitor? In which case his life will probably be taken. Or does he go and fight against God's own people? What will David do? Let me read very quickly for you and follow with me. Chapter 29, it's only a few verses. And this tells us the outcome of David's predicament. The Philistines gathered together all their forces at Aphek, And Israel camped by the spring in Jezreel. 
As the Philistine rulers marched with their units of hundreds and thousands, David and his men were marching at the rear with Achish. The commanders of the Philistines asked, what about these Hebrews? Achish replied, is this not David, who was an officer of Saul, king of Israel? He's already been with me for over a year, and from the day he left Saul until now, I found no fault with him. But the Philistine commanders were angry with him and said, send the man back that he may return to the place you assigned to him. He must not go with us into battle or he'll turn against us during the fighting. How better could he regain his master's favor than by taking the heads off our own men? Isn't this the David they sang about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. By the way, that little thing in there, that's about Philistines. Saul has slain thousands, David ten thousands. These people have every reason to fear David. So Itish called David and said to him, as soon as the Lord lives, as surely as the Lord lives, you've been reliable. I would have been pleased to have you serve with me in the army. From the day you came to me until now, I found no fault in you but the rulers don't approve of you. Turn back and go in peace. Do nothing to displease the Philistine rulers. But what have I done? Asked David. What have you found against your servant from the day I came to follow you until now? Why can't I go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Itchish answered, I know that you've been as pleasing in my eyes as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the Philistine commanders have said, he must not go up with us into battle. Now get up early, along with your master's servants who have come with you, and leave in the morning as soon as it's light. So David and his men got up early in the morning to go back to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Isn't that brilliant? David's in a, a massive fix but God is still at work. God sorts out a situation where David really could do nothing to help himself. And I love the way this works out. Who is it who, who works things out? Philistine commanders, ungodly pagan men, and God uses them. Time and time again, this happens in the Bible. Nebuchadnezzar, others, God just draws these men into his service, as it were. Pagan, ungodly men, pawns in God's hand. Friends, God's not mentioned in either of these chapters that we have read this evening, only, only in passing. And at first glance, he doesn't really seem to be involved in the goings-on here, but he's there okay. Do you remember we learned that as we looked at the book of Ruth together? are these biblical stories. God is always the key character, even when he's, when he's off stage. It's like that in our lives. There are hours and days and, and weeks and sometimes months that can pass where we have no strong sense that God is at work. But he is. And sometimes it's not until later, until we have hindsight to work with, that we can see what it is that God was doing, how he was working. 
Let me finish. Are you a Christian living with the enemy tonight? Maybe it's a struggle for you these days just to survive living in your home and the things that go on there, or, or maybe it's in your workplace. You're living in areas that you know aren't God's perfect will. Circumstances just aren't as you'd want them to be. They're not the circumstances you would have chosen to live a life pleasing to God. Don't panic. Don't lose heart. Because God understands all these complexities of your life, even if nobody else does. God knows and God cares and God loves you. And God's desire is to keep working in you, even in the middle of all of this, to keep doing what we've learned him doing in the life of David, to make you into a woman or a man after his own heart. Do you believe that God can do that even when you're living with the enemy? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you are not limited to ideal circumstances. Your work in our lives isn't limited to those times when our life is a walk in the park. Thank you, Lord, that you will work in us and you are working in us, no matter how stretched, no matter how complicated and no matter how frustrated our lives appear to be tonight. Lord, come by your Spirit. Renew your presence in our lives and assure us that you're making us into people after your own heart, people like Jesus. Amen.